people are putting massive effort into a 15 second video or 30 second video, they've had the opportunity to do that for the last X amount of years on other platforms. So somehow they've said, you get 15 seconds, go. And then people are putting literal full storylines. If someone's doing comedy or fashion or whatever, and they're putting this massive effort into it. You could do that with iMovie on your phone and your stories for the last however long. But for whatever reason, they're choosing to put well, that effort on TikTok. Well, I'll tell you the reason. The reason is you can have zero followers on TikTok, put up a 15-second video, your first video, and get a million views. You don't need any followers. The algorithm on TikTok is like opposite of Instagram. Instagram, you have to build your following and then only your followers see your content unless you get really big and you're featured on Explore page. TikTok, it shows everybody's content on the For You page. So if you create something great, you can have zero followers, have a video that blows up to a million, and then overnight you have, let's say, 10,000 followers. That's why people put effort in. They can still go viral. Welcome to Wave Social Podcast, powered by Arcade Studios. My name's Mike. I'm here with my co-host, Mitzi, and we've curated a show for digital marketers, advertisers, and modern entrepreneurs who want to stop chasing the tide and start making waves online. Each episode, we'll sit down with the tastemakers and strategic minds behind some of the most engaged communities and -and up-and-coming brands. We'll pull back the curtain on their strategies and experiences to uncover the methodology behind their seismic impact. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Welcome to the finale mm-hmm. of season one of the Wave Social Podcast. We made it. It's been a trip, hasn't it? It's been amazing. And that's not to say that we're done here. We're going to be back really soon with season two. We already got some exciting guests locked in. But for now, this is the one that we're especially excited about. We've got two guests for the first time at the same time in the studio. The first one is Jay McDonald. He's been a friend of ours for a while. And uh, we've been able to watch him get into commercial photography and grow and increase his influence and begin working with brands. And now he's just an absolute badass crushing it. On Instagram, you'll find him at J.R. McDonald. He is a commercial photographer and content creator. His company is called Brome Creative, and he works with a few other people, especially in the travel and tourism spaces. But honestly, they do it all and they do a good job of it. He also has a podcast called Rome With Us. So he's familiar with how this all works. And he's got a lot of insights. And specifically today, I'd say he had a few hot takes as well. Oh, yeah. Who's our other guest, Mitzi? We have Kaylee Reed. She's an influencer marketing strategist. She works with brands and influencers and connects the dots between both of them. She has over six years of experience working in fashion and e-commerce, social media, and influencer marketing. And just this year, she launched Hermana Agency, which is a full-service brand agency that manages a roster of influencers. And she talks a little bit about that in the interview. She also has a podcast called Self-Care Sunday, and she posts daily on TikTok, where she got 1.5 million views in her first month month of using it, which we also dive into as well. So as you probably guessed, this whole interview is about influencer marketing. Yeah. And these two obviously know what they're talking about. I think you pulled a cool stat about influencer marketing. Why don't you drop that bomb on us? Yeah. So influencer marketing is set to become an $8 billion industry in 2020. So if you thought that this, you know, influencer marketing isn't for your brand, we want to challenge you and say that, yes, the time is now. There are so many different ways that you can work with influencers, which we'll get into. 
but it is an industry that is only growing. And in fact, a lot of brands are transferring their ad dollars into influencer marketing, which is actually kind of exciting for us. Yeah. And we've started looking at influencer marketing. I shouldn't say started. We look at influencer marketing as a distribution channel, much like paid social or any form of digital advertising. And we really push brands, especially the ones that we work with, to think of it that way as well. Mm-hmm. It's not a new thing anymore, but this is a place where you can invest valuable brand and marketing dollars and see the results. Yeah. And which is why we felt like it was important to have two influencers who are, you know, not new to the game, but who can provide a lot of value for brand builders out there who are thinking about working with influencers. So one of the things we talked about was how the platform's changing and how that likes got to are going away or have gone away at this point and how that's impacting influencer marketing. And there's some hot takes in there. <laughs> yeah. So they both had a, a strong bend towards the, this idea that Instagram made this change less for mental health, but more as a way to pull dollars away from influencer marketing and into the platform through things like sponsored posts and ad campaigns, which hasn't necessarily been our posture of choice or gut reaction, but it's definitely interesting and has my wheels turning. What did you think, Mitzi? Totally. Yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily impacted, you know, influencer relationships with brands yet. Even Kaylee said that since likes have gone away for her, which was about six months ago, she still had the same amount of inquiries and brands coming to her for relationships. So I don't know if it's really impacting that yet, but maybe yeah. it will in the long run. Who it's knows? It's got my wheels turning though. And we don't do this podcast to just entrench ourselves in what we already think. Mm-hmm. And so that, well, that's why we bring guests on that have their finger on the pulse of what's going on. So it's, it's cool even some of the other conversations that we had also just got me thinking, you know, I feel like my perspective has definitely been expanded through these conversations. And another way that that happened was even just talking about a new ish platform called TikTok. Oh yeah. Are we doing it or what? TikTok? I claimed my profile, but I use the same handle as I did on my other social platforms. And even after this conversation, I'm almost wondering if I, I might want to use a different one. No, you should keep it. You think so? Yeah. I Try think to get that cross-platform traffic. At the very least, people should secure their handles. Yeah, like that's true. On the brand side too. Yeah. So I think, I think I'm encouraged to go and give this a try. I've been consuming content on there, a little bit antsy to just dive into the pool, but I think I'm going to give it a try maybe over the Christmas holidays. What about you? Yeah. I think I have an idea of my first TikTok, so I might well, give it a shot this hardest week. Hardest part is the start. Am mm-hmm. I right? Yeah. I'm just going to use my baby and, and hopefully she'll get me some views. Follow for follow or what? <laughs> I'll follow you if you follow me. Okay. All right. We're off to the races. Well, I don't think we need to keep talking about this too much longer because the combo with these guys was really, really strong. Mm-hmm. So we're going to jump into it. Um, Mitzi, why don't you just seal it off for us? Yeah. So enjoy the episode with Kaylee Reed and Jay McDonald all about influencer marketing. And we'll see you next season. Okay. Today we have Kaylee Reed and Jay McDonald on the show. Thank you so much for being here, guys. Hi. Thanks for having Thanks us. For having us. Awesome. Yeah, we're so pumped. This is the first time we're doing two interviews in one and we're going to have a ball. So we're going to talk about influencer marketing today. And I wanted to know if you guys could just give us a quick summary of how you both became influencers and how that all started for you. 
Yeah. So my background is in fashion e-commerce. So for a few years, I was working on the brand side, uh, building a fashion brand. And through that had grown the following of my brand and was kind of receiving followers through that as a co-founder. The niche was mental health. So we were raising awareness for mental health issues through fashion. And my personal account was very mental health focused. I've struggled with mental illness my entire life. And so I was very open about that on my Instagram account. So that's kind of how I started building my following there. It was really small for a while. While I was focusing on the brand, I wasn't focusing on being an influencer whatsoever, but I started getting some different opportunities in the mental health and nonprofit world. So speaking gigs, that sort of thing, started building my following that way. And then I left that company almost three years ago now and moved into the influencer marketing space and spent more time focusing on content creation. And through that, kind of transitioned into the fashion, beauty, lifestyle space and have just been growing my following really steadily and slowly kind of ever since. I didn't, well, I know I knew that you came from the mental health background, but I was kind of a very similar scenario. So I was working in high schools and junior highs and I was partnering with Kids Help Phone and we were touring around doing presentations on self-worth, mental health awareness and suicide prevention. And I got burnt out. I thought burnout was just like a stupid word that people use when they were bad at managing their time until I got burnt out. So we did 26 schools in June and this was just over two years ago. I was like, I'm done. I, I just need to take a break. It was up in Northern Alberta. Mental health and suicide is very, very, very prevalent up there. And I'm not a social worker. I, I don't have a degree of any type. I was just a storyteller. I just shared my family's story and, and then taught communication tactics. So I was toasted and I had some friends that ran a creative community called Socality. And I knew them through other stuff, playing music and church and that kind of thing. And they said, hey, you should just come out and just do this thing. No one knows. You don't have to be the mental health guy. You can just come hang. And that's where I got introduced to the realm of social. I wouldn't consider myself an influencer per se that with the hand quotes. <laughs> Let's call it influenza. No, digital, I guess, working in the realm of digital marketing. And I totally get it. That's the socially accepted term for what it is. Kaylee can toast me on it after, but <laughs> it kind of just evolved on its own, to be honest. Once I got introduced to the realm, I realized how much opportunity was here and I realized how many people it would connect me to that I would otherwise never get the opportunity to meet or hang out with or cross paths. And that's what I love the most about it. And then it just, it grew from there, essentially. Is this kind of like a rebellion towards the term influencer or is it that you legitimately don't feel like you are one or? I think the people that work in marketing, I think if someone like you two, you run an amazing marketing agency, I think you're influencers because you're taking the crowd and you're using your tactics behind the scenes to influence their decisions. I think that somebody that's working on the front line, so a quote unquote influencer is not exactly influencing the market. They're encouraging a sale or they're mm -hmm. doing whatever it is. But the mm -hmm. reason I get salty about it is because I found that there's a little bit of uh, entitlement. The mm -hmm. more I get into it, the deeper it gets, the larger the budgets get, the larger the opportunities grow, the more the entitlement grows. And mm -hmm. so I just didn't want to associate with myself with that. And I'm not saying everyone, not by any means, right. just sure. in the, at least in the realm that we're in, primarily in destination marketing, mm -hmm. it can be a big thing. And so we just decided myself and I have two business partners in Rome Creative. We just decided, yeah, we're just going to we're going to change the verbiage, just keep it digital marketing or digital marketer, whatever you want to do at the end of the day. Cool. Yeah. What about you, Kaylee? Would you consider yourself an influencer? I laugh at the term because it's thrown around so much. I don't have a right. problem with it, honestly, but I feel like when you are calling yourself something, it always feels a little bit weird. I think mm -hmm. it's more of a humble thing where 
people who are true influencers and content creators don't want to use that term because it just feels weird. It's like saying, oh, I'm a star. <laughs> oh, right. I'm famous, you know? I'm not. And for me, so my full-time life right now, I would say 50% of my time is spent doing collaborations with brands, creating content, creating content for my channels. And then 50% of my time is spent managing brand campaigns and managing other influencers. So I do still have, quote unquote, kind of day job as an entrepreneur, managing campaigns and executing campaigns. So I have kind of the insight from both sides. So I don't really feel like a quote unquote influencer because I'm not doing it full time, but it's still a big part of what I do. The interesting thing about influencer or like that term is there's no governing body for it. So right. there's individuals who have a smaller social following. Now they're micro influencers. Mm-hmm. They just want to adopt that term and absolutely go for it. Mm-hmm. And then there's the million plus and there's the mega influencer mm-hmm. and then there's the 50 to 100K and then there's they're the mid-range influencer. So, every, so everybody at every level is referring them to themselves as an influencer. So then what makes an influencer kind of is, is the question, right? Yeah. What would you answer to that? Like what makes an influencer? I mean, I don't use the term right. influencer, right? And again, it's I'm not trying to like kibosh the podcast or, no. or, or <laughs> anything like that. I would say that somebody that's in the realm of 500,000 to a million plus would be an established influencer because that's somebody who literally with like a Kylie Jenner with one tweet, with one message, she can literally change the demographic of fashion. She can change the direction that things go Mm -hmm. in one message. Mm -hmm. That's influence. That's an influencer Mm -hmm. versus somebody who's got 50K or 100K and they can put a swipe up link and say something and, you know, maybe 3% of their audience engages on that. Right. Are you an influencer or not? What are you influencing? Uh, You're providing value and input, but... Again, that's just that's a personal for thought sure. on it. Yeah, I think one of the ways that I've heard it said that I really liked was people being gatekeepers to audiences, mm-hmm. audiences that they've built and nurtured and kind of own, not own, but they have a certain level of rapport with. And I like looking at it that way yeah. as a brand or as an agency, um, re- like dealing with gatekeepers to certain types of audiences that have been really built specifically around a certain type of product or consumable or a way of life. From our perspective on the agency side, we look at influencers as distribution channels and like mm-hmm. gatekeepers to audiences. So when a brand comes to us, there's, you know, two ways to get attention. They can either pay for it through ads or they can work with an influencer. And the influencer is so much less disruptive to like the consumer's life. If you're mm-hmm. like on social media, if you're watching TV, like ads are yeah. disruptive. While an influencer who's sharing an experience with a brand, which is paid and sponsored, that's way less disruptive and also more trustworthy. So when done well, I feel like influencer marketing is such a great strategy for brands if they find the you know the right influencer partner, the right message. You know, there's lots that goes into it. And ideally, that's a collaborative process with the influencer. For us on our end, we see it as like a distribution opportunity. I fully agree. I've seen Mm -hmm. brands explode because of influencer marketing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just think the title's silly. That's And it's really just like a personal thing. Right. I think it's incredible. Can you talk us through your first influencer gig? Because you're both kind of in different verticals. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to know what that relationship, how that developed and what it was, what you had to do. 
I mean, my first thing was years ago, like five years ago, just a gifted product from a local brand that had seen what I was posting. And I look back at my Instagram feed five years ago, and it was like very horrendous, honestly. (laughs) I maybe had 3,000 followers. And this was before influencer marketing was even a thing, really, Mm -hmm. like gifted partnerships that just was not as trendy and commonplace as it is now. So that was my first one. And then I think my first paid collaboration was with Joe Fresh or L'Oreal. It was a big company. And I remember just thinking like, oh man, you can actually get paid to do this. Like Mm -hmm. there's money in this versus just getting free stuff, which is cool. And at the time, again, I maybe had 5,000 followers. So I was nowhere near that title of quote unquote influence where we're talking like 500K plus, let's say. But I was getting offered product and getting paid to post about something to my audience. And that's, I think, when I started really paying attention to the space and Mm -hmm. thinking, oh, if I can do this with 5,000 followers, like, what could I do with 10,000? Or what could I do if I even sat down and tried, like Mm -hmm. was pitching or spent time on this versus just passively doing my thing and letting things come to me. So that was kind of the beginning for me. Nice. My first influencer opportunity, I guess, would have been with a clothing brand called Cuts. This was like way back and I had pitched them because I was going on a trip with a group of friends who had a much larger influence. I was kind of just like the, like, you know, the annoying little brother or whatever. (laughs) And uh, I had seen their product. One of my friends that I knew had actually just purchased the product and I saw it and I was like, these are amazing. This is Mm -hmm. the literally the best shirt I've seen my entire life. And so it was organic. So it was like, I love this product. I tried it on. It fits amazing. I want to do this. And then so I connected with them and I was really shocked actually because again, I was kind of in the same place where I was under that 10K ROM. I didn't have a swipe up link. I couldn't really coax the audience to go anywhere outside of just like, hey, I really like this product yeah, sincerely. And then so that was the first, I guess, influencer project or campaign. And that one, it wasn't even paid. It was just, I had requested budget. I said, eh, kind of based on the scenario, it doesn't really fit, you know, what works for us. And I was like, honestly, I like your product so much. I don't even care. I'd love to do this. And that relationship has grown from there. And I continue to do work with that brand. But that would have been the first touch with it for sure. Fun to hear about stuff like that. Yeah. (laughs) And it's cool that it was organic, you know, like you're just really just legitimately hyped on a product. Totally. Cool. And then how did people interact since that was kind of like your first engagement? Obviously, they didn't know if you're getting paid or not, but they were your audience. Right. Did it's, they, it's, how did they respond? It's kind of like getting a fresh haircut. People go, ooh, <laughs> oh, okay, oh, hey, there's something new here. What's going on? You're working with a ton of influencers, Kaylee, so I'm sure you can speak more to this too. But it's, I think as long as things are organic and as long as you're being honest and it's on brand with you, the reaction's not a big deal. It's like, oh, he likes that? Okay, that's actually cool. I, mm-hmm. I can get down with that for sure. He or she or whatever. And so the reaction to it was very, very, it was just kind of a blip, right? But it was the fact that I want to continue that relationship. So it was more so about continually posting and sharing that brand as opposed to just one and done kind of thing. So it wasn't a one-off. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Kaylee, what makes a great influencer partnership between a brand and someone that you represent? Mm, Yeah. Well, I think Jay kind of already hit the nail on the head where if it's organic and authentic to you, like if you really love the product, it's going to make a successful partnership. So something I'm always telling the influencers that I work with is if there's a brand you want to partner with, it doesn't matter how big they are, 
be a fangirl before they even reach out like to get on their radar before we even pitch you to them like make sure you're posting about them have you bought their product before like do you wear their stuff does it make sense that you are going to be paid to promote this i think the best partnerships are the ones where people genuinely use the product all the time i'll give an example my abercrombie partnership because i love abercrombie so much abercrombie's not cool like i know that i recognize this fully (laughs) last year i just went on this big like abercrombie binge because it's one of my favorite stores and i was posting about them in my stories doing try on hauls buying a bunch of product just because i love it and posting about it and made the hashtag make abercrombie great again and my audience was like oh like abercrombie actually has some cool stuff now And through that, after maybe about a month of posting about them, they reached out to me organically and they were like, oh, we've seen you posting about Abercrombie. Them probably thinking there's very few people that are organically posting about (laughs) A&F in 2018 at the time. And they reached out to do long-term partnership. And so I've been working with them for the past year now. And it makes sense because I love the product anyways. And so I think those are the best types of partnerships are the ones that you're already sharing it with your audience so that when you do get paid to share, your audience isn't taken aback by it. Like you've already been talking about it to them. So they already are familiar mm-hmm. with the brand and your relationship with them and the fact that you like them. So just because there's a hashtag ad now doesn't really make a difference. The message stays the same. Totally. I love that it's like this coy dating game because you're 100% correct. You know, it's like, you're, you know, you're dabbling. Hey. <laughs> You know, you're not just going to go straight for the like, DM. I know you're just going to slide with skating on water. Like, you, you know, you, you feel it out. You, you want to flirt a little bit. Totally. You want to like, like some pics. Yeah. Engage. And then they're like, you know, you tag them 10 times and they're like, I heard what you said. <laughs> <laughs> I think it. Yeah. You know, so it this official. relationship starts. It's Facebook official. I totally agree. <laughs> it yeah. is the same. That's funny. That's awesome. Wow. And uh, now on the other side of the coin, can you t- give us some examples of like influencer relationships that just haven't worked or if brands have approached you that you've turned them down like what makes a campaign something that you just wouldn't want to do i say no to budgeted campaigns all the time Mm -hmm. like very very frequently and it's just for me personally again it's because i i would rather provide more value to my audience i'm so grateful that my audience is there i don't want to exploit them i don't want to use them i don't want to abuse them in any way shape or form the only reason that I'm able to do 50% of the things that I'm able to do and experience the life that I have is because of that audience. So they are the holy grail for me that I worship my audience just the same way that they like to follow along. So I'm always trying to provide something for them. And so if a brand for me, a few big things right now are like, I will look into the sustainability and the impact in the environment. That's really huge, which to be honest, a year ago wasn't, it wasn't even a thought. And then that comes to my attention and I'm like, oh, okay, this is this is actually a big deal. This is not, we're not joking around anymore. And I plan on having kids someday. Fingers crossed, probably not. But <laughs> I want them to be able to enjoy these same places that I'm enjoying. That's number one. Number two, if it's not on brand, it's not on brand. I saw recently a, he's kind of in the same realm as me, travel, adventure, if you want to call it destination, marketing, whatever. They posted a photo of their girlfriend with a Dyson vacuum on a dock, on a lake. I was like, this literally makes... No sense in any way. (laughs) You could not pay me enough money in the world to do that. It just doesn't make sense. Right. And so it's like in that scenario, I say no to that kind of thing all the time. And I think that's uh, a bad scenario. I wouldn't want to dabble with that at all. (laughs) 
When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. Yeah, I think making sure that the brand's values are in line with your own values is number one. Like I only use cruelty-free makeup and beauty products. So that's a big one in the beauty and skincare world where there's so many brands that Mm -hmm. have budget or are gifting or what what have you. And my first question always is, is it cruelty-free? Like are you testing on animals? Other than that, I think in terms of saying no to other types of things that maybe line up value-wise, for me, it comes down to like, what is the brand requesting and does it make sense for what they are offering? So especially in the micro-influencer space, a lot of brands will want a gift product or they have a small budget. And then you read in the fine print of the contract that they want to use your content forever on anything, website, paid ads, social media, organic, what have you, at which point for me, that's a big red flag and like a big no-no. And I think a lot of influencers or micro-influencers who are maybe we can use the term content creators, don't look so far into those things. And they maybe see the surface level like, oh, I'm getting paid $200 to make a post. That's sweet. And then you don't think about the fact that if your photo is being used forever on paid ads, like that has so much value for a brand and Mm -hmm. brands are getting away with a lot now. They're not getting much pushback because the space is so oversaturated by content creators that a lot of people will do stuff for free or say yes to things without thinking twice. So that for me is kind of where I draw the line is looking at like the terms of what brands actually want, exclusivity, usage rights, that sort of thing. And if it makes sense with what they're actually offering. That's good value. It's interesting. That's kind of like the catch 22 of people are signing NDAs all the time. I don't know where this is going to go. Like you're, you're totally right. And I think the longer you're in the game, the more you start to learn about these things. Mm-hmm. I know for me, I did that at the beginning, shot a ton of photos for a brand, walked into the store and they were all over the wall. And I was like, whoa, I had no idea this was going to be a thing, right? There was photos as tall as me and they didn't even look good because I didn't send them the proper resolution for that. Mm-hmm. But it was the same thing. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And then you kind of get wrapped up in it. And so it can be a dangerous scenario. Mm -hmm. And when you think about like from the photographer perspective, especially brands that are paying for big billboards or ads or any kind of actual usage in stores, let's say, to hire a photographer to do that is thousands of dollars. If you're gifting someone product on Instagram and using those photos, like that person is missing out on so much compensation that they should be afforded. And yet they either just don't know or they don't understand or they don't know how to ask. Like it's kind of sad how the industry is pushing a lot of creatives out, not out of work, but like lowering the value on some things because a lot of people will say yes without knowing, thinking it's like a really great opportunity. Mm. Yeah, they're using your likeness too. It's not even, I don't think there's any difference or any lesser between them using your personality or your face than being the actual person who creates the content. Like Mm -hmm. Your face is just as important as the person who presses the shutter big time. And then you're so right. It it devalues the rest of the industry, but you don't even know it, Mm -hmm. right? It's just 
over your head. Yeah. I totally agree. Do you guys find that when you communicate things like that, like say you find something in the fine print where they're planning to use these photos everywhere, when you communicate that that's not going to work, are brands pretty receptive to that? Is it like they didn't really know? Do you find more so that brands are just trying to snake people? In my experience, it depends on the brand. So usually it's an agency that's reaching out with these contracts. It's not the brand directly. And if it's a big agency, they know what they're doing and they're just trying to get away with as much as possible to save their client as much money as possible and get as much out of the agreements. What I find is that a lot of times the people like the account managers or the people that you're communicating with directly, they are not super educated on the A to Z of everything. And so they've probably been given the contract from legal team or whatever. They are like one piece in the machine. They're just passing it on to you. And so if you bring it up, sometimes you are more educated than the person on the other end. They're just an email responder. And you are saying, oh, well, this, this, and this, because you are knowledgeable about your own business. So sometimes you have to push back and they kind of have to get approval from higher up or something like that. And other times I think that they're surprised by knowledgeable people on the other end. Like Hmm. I think they get a lot of yeses from people that are not super business savvy. And so when you are business savvy and you try to negotiate and you bring up terms, they're like, oh, this person actually knows what they're talking about. (laughs) I totally agree with that. It's like the wild, wild west out there still. And there's a huge level of unprofessionalism for whatever reason. And I think a lot of it because it can start on the social platforms. So there's that less of a need to be formal. Right. And then, you know, you just kind of get loose with each other and, hey, bro, hey, you know, sis, whatever, as opposed to, hi, title, comma, you know, enter, mm-hmm. tab, like the way things have been done in the past. And I think even with that, though, too, the contracts, to be honest, I think are kind of irrelevant. I don't, I don't think people are really looking into contracts like they used to. They're not using a legal team. They're going and getting a template off the web, you know, the internet for sure, you know, or if they're a bigger company, they might have a legal team. And if they do, there are so many little hidden clauses and things you would never think about or look at that you look at it. And how many times have you gone on a website and maybe you're setting up for like an influencer platform and it's like, I've read the terms and conditions. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just give me the right. money. Like, whatever, whatever, whatever. I accept, I accept, right? Apple every single week is like, hey, do you accept this? I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sure. Take my life. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Get out of my way. You know, so at the end of the day, like from the photographer perspective or even from the, the social influence perspective, if I say to you like, hey, you know, Arcade, this image is digitally licensed to you for one year for social use. That's it. In a year and a half, if you repost that, am I going to come barking down your... No. Mm -hmm. What am I going to do? Really? What is anyone going to do? So the fact that those contracts are even in place, I think now a lot of times, like you say, the companies that are... You know, there's a PR agency that's working with the brand. They have to do their due diligence. They themselves don't really care. And not all of them. I'm just, you know, speaking based on experience. But if they repost your image, that image has a lifespan of like two hours or something. So if you come back and you find out about it, like I just, I literally just saw a handful of my images on a UK Facebook page. It had like 500,000 likes on it and a bunch of comments and whatever. And they credited me, but didn't tag me. And it's in the bottom. It's like, that's useless to me. But what am I going to do? Right. Right? I'm not coming after you in the UK. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's, I put it on social. I put it out to the world. It's just petty fighting. Others might like wildly disagree with that, Mm -hmm. but 
what can I do? Right. right. I can, I send them a message. Hey, thanks so much for sharing. Really do appreciate that. Would love it if you could actually tag me because I know mm-hmm. that you know how to tag and I know that you did that on purpose. I know full well that somebody was just being lazy or whatever mm-hmm. or didn't tag me because they don't want me to ask for compensation for what, you know, X, Y, Z and no response. And I forget about it in an hour because what am I going to do? Right. Right. It's like. And from the brand perspective too, like having been the one sending these contracts, I will say a lot of times it's more or less a quote unquote scare tactic to make sure that people actually post because you would be surprised from the brand side how many influencers suck at what they do and just ghost, don't respond, receive product, never post, get paid, delete the photo the next day, like really unprofessional. And I think because the industry is still the Wild West, as you said, kind of anything goes, people can get away with a lot. And so from the brand perspective, I understand why these contracts are in place. But it is 90% of the time just to scare people a little bit and be like, hey, we're taking this seriously. Please actually hold this up on your end. Like Jay said, if if an influencer receives a product and they don't post, what are we going to do? We're not going to sue you. Like right. what the product was worth $200, like it's not worth, it's not worth anybody's time. So it goes a long way though. It's a very small industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, you hear about one and it's like, that's, you're on the unofficial blacklist. Like mm-hmm. boom, fast. Yeah. Really. yeah. You know? Definitely. And I think it's changing just like everything. Obviously social media is changing so quickly. So I'm curious how you guys envision influencer partnerships developing or evolving as social media does i guess like one observation i can make is that likes are going away you know (laughs) so is that creating fear for you guys or in amongst your peers or is it creating fear or is is the dopamine going away too (laughs) are my serotonin levels (laughs) dropping through the floor is that what's happening or is it that what's happening what's really happening are those things happening yeah i I have a very strong opinion on the conversation of the likes Share it. That might that could be a full podcast on its own. I could oh, get so real curious. salty. Okay, get Give us the it. elevator pitch. Okay, so in my opinion, we've got this brand, Instagram, Facebook. They have given us a platform. They owe us nothing. You know, if you are on Instagram and you're an influencer mm-hmm. or you have a large following and you're having life opportunities provided by that, that brand owes you nothing. Mm-hmm. You are riding the wave, mm-hmm. literally. Mm-hmm. So you've never been charged for it. It's never been monitored. You can do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, and you're getting to experience these amazing things, right? So if Big Brother's listening, love Instagram. I also think it's interesting that the same day that likes were removed for me, I was offered a creator account. And so I went to my friends, hey, did you guys get this? Did you get this? No, you didn't get this yet. So my account, for whatever reason, has consistently been offered a beta test of something before a handful of my friends. And then they'll usually get it, you know, four to six weeks later. So I got offered the creator account. The platform is saying, hey, we care about your mental health. We care about the way that you're feeling and you're seeing things. So we're going to remove the likes so that you can't see that. And then on the back end, they're saying this to mom, but then to dad, they're going, hey, just so you know, we got this creator account for you. So don't freak out. It's all good. We're going to organize your direct messages based on who has the most followers. So it's like, we care about your mental health, but we're going to based on who you communicate with, based on who's got the most followers. So in that sense, it's like, you don't really care. I know you don't care. Mm -hmm. And if my dad's listening to this, he's going to give me a hard time for, he said, don't bite the hand that feeds you or something (laughs) along those lines, right? But again, in my opinion, as someone who is, I'm a full-time commercial photographer, 
if I go out, I get up at 3 a.m. and I drive out to the mountains for three hours and I hike in the pitch black in the minus five degrees to get to sunrise in the top of the mountain for the image that I want or the brand wants or whatever, should my photo or whatever I've created get the same recognition as someone who's drinking wine in their bathtub with their cat? In my opinion, absolutely not. I've spent my own money or the the budget. I've spent the time. I've spent the physical effort. I've spent the creativity. So by removing the likes, you've removed the the thumbs up, right? The the badge of approval. And whether you like it or not, whether you're on a social platform or not, people are giving you a thumbs up or a thumbs down. It just is what it is, right? People talk about like Tinder or dating platforms where oh, it's so bad. You just swipe through them. It's literally, in my opinion, no different than walking through the mall. You look at someone, yes or no, right? We're biologically predisposed to reproduce. We will look at each other and go, yep or no, yep or no. It's just how we work. Whether you acknowledge that or verbalize it is one thing, right? So with the likes, again, total tangent, <laughs> shift to the podcast. I'm sorry. I just think it's a little bit ridiculous. And at the end of the day, it's one click further. In my opinion, and this is, again, a fully an opinion. It's not based on any proven data whatsoever. I think that the likes have been removed because the platform wants to be paid for the sponsorships. So why would, you know, Arcade as the brand pay the influencer when they could pay Instagram to sponsor that post to guarantee that that gets seen to the audience? And so the Instagram or or Twitter or whatever you're using, we're using Instagram for this conversation. Why would they let you pay the influencer as opposed to taking that money? So if we remove the likes, if we can say, hey, people can't see it, so less people are going to engage on it. It's crowd mentality. Wow. You know? If everybody's driving a Jeep, you want to drive a Jeep. So if everyone's liking it, you'll like it too. Right. right? So, and again, that's just an opinion. So in a way, by taking away likes, you're saying that they're kind of taking away some of the influence of the influencer in the hopes that you'll pay the platform instead. That's my thought. Wow. I'm with Jay on this too. As soon as I saw that announcement, it's like Instagram removes likes for mental health. I was like, no, Instagram removes likes to get more money from businesses. Like that's the underlying. I mean, sure, of course, people's mental health matters. Of course, they probably have, you know, consulting teams in there and trying to figure out, okay, how do we make more people stay on the app? What have you? At the end of the day, it's a business. Mm -hmm. Every decision is driven to, you know, create profit for the bottom line. It's a business owned by Facebook, nonetheless. Yeah. If you think for one second, there's not addiction psychologists working 24 seven around the clock to make you stay on that platform. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You've lost your mind. Right. There's a reason why you can't use Instagram anywhere but your phone. Right. Right. Yeah. I will say in terms of like the effect on influencer marketing, I mean, we haven't had likes in Canada. I haven't had likes on my account for probably six, seven months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Same here. It has affected my campaigns zero. Really? It has made zero difference. My engagement rate is pretty much the same as it was before likes were removed. And I have not seen a decrease in brands wanting to work with me in terms of the brand side. All of the influencer tools can still see likes. If you use Instagram on desktop, even you can still see likes. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that will be going away. If Instagram fully removes likes from the platform, I just don't see that happening. I think that that data is still going to be publicly available for these tools to pull. Mm -hmm. So in terms of brands measuring ROI, they can still see what people are engaging with. It hasn't affected campaigns on my end. I'll be curious to see if it does, if the rollout is like fully permanent. But so far, I haven't seen 
much of an issue. I've seen a lot of people freaking out about it, but I don't think it makes that big a deal. I think it's hilarious that they tested it on Canada. Yeah. The Canadians are like, <laughs> they're you're so an nice. Company. You're, you're, <laughs> we, we for sure are not your largest market. There's more people in California than there is in all of Canada. Yeah. And they're like, you're like, okay, I know what to do here. A boardroom full of people. We're like, let's do this. Let's hit the Canadians. They live in the gray area. They'll apologize They're to us. Fair. They don't care. Yeah. They, you know. Right. So it's like, they remove it. We're like, oh, you know, what are, you suck my teeth. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> you know. Right back to maple syrup. And then they yeah. go back to the report. Look how it will. Oh, this is amazing. It worked. Yeah. It's like, funny. okay. Do you find with the removal of likes, like I was reading a, a report on like, the state of influencer marketing and they're saying like influencers aren't even posting to their feed as much as they used to and that a lot of these relationships are happening in stories do you find Mm -hmm. that you've seen some more of that happening or like more requests for stories i've been pushing stories more from the influencer side i haven't seen brands fully shift their focus to stories yet i'm still getting a lot of feed requests and i think it's because feed is just way more trackable than stories still Mm -hmm. most of the influencer tools can't pull story data the same way that they can pull feed data and so for brands it's easier for them to track a feed post in their eyes it's permanent which you know as jay said earlier it's like two hours and then the engagement's done and Nobody cares about that post forever again. But I have personally been pushing more story collaborations because also another Instagram report that came out this year, I think it's like people are spending 60% of their time on the app on stories versus 40% of the time scrolling through their feed. I personally find stories way more engaging. As a consumer, I'm only using stories on Instagram. Like I rarely scroll my feed anymore. I just love watching people's stories. So I've seen my own attention shift there. And I think it's important for brands to be valuing stories more, but I haven't fully seen that shift yet. Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast Audio Branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. I feel like stories is or shifting. I totally agree. I think that there has been a shift towards more story promotion and story viewing. But I think that it allows creators who have been on the platform for a long time to be creative again. Mm. Because everyone knows that, or not everyone knows, it might not be common knowledge to you that something that really helps the platform is consistency. So mm-hmm. if you have a very curated and consistent feed, it's going to help. You feed a squirrel, the squirrel comes back. People want to get the same thing every day. Right. So if you've been doing that same thing for a year or two years or three years or people that are early adopters who've been on the platform for five years plus, now you've got stories and it's like, whoa, okay, I've got this whole new realm. Mm-hmm. I can't even do to my stories what I could do to my, my photos or videos. Right. I can A, be myself, show you who I actually am. B, I can do other creative things, right? I don't have to fit the curation of my feed. So I right. think- that would be a big shift too because people get tired just like anything, mm-hmm. right? You can yeah. you can keep playing with a slot machine, but you're going to get tired. Right. 
we have a lot of brand builders and marketers who listen to this podcast. In your experience, what kind of measurable reports do you provide to any brands that you work with on the influencer side just so that they know what kind of level of expectation to have? Because obviously, you know, when you work or engage with a brand, there's, you know, reportable or like goals that they have for engagement or swipe ups or whatever. Like what kind of reports do you feel like that you could share that you're proud of when you've worked with a brand? For most of the campaigns that I've worked on as a quote-unquote micro-influencer, the agencies are typically taking care of all the reporting and they're either working on a platform that automatically pulls all of that data or they're asking for screenshots of analytics afterwards. Mm -hmm. So I'm not really putting together a report for the brand. However, I will say that something that I try to go out of my way to do is just take additional screenshots of any comments, DMs of people being like, oh, I just bought this or like, what's your, do you have a discount code? Like anything a little bit more personal that can't really be tracked quantitatively through Mm -hmm. the data of impressions or likes or what have you. Because I think that for brands is actually more valuable than just the numbers. When you see that people are actually engaging with the product or the thing that you're sharing and people are interested in asking questions about it, whether it's, you know, a thousand clicks or 10, if those 10 people actually went through and bought that product and then are telling you they're excited about it, I think that's more valuable than just a thousand clicks that went nowhere. So I'm trying to do more like qualitative reporting and providing those kind of comments, DMs, those types of insights, because I find a lot of agencies are kind of tracking the back end data. I don't hide anything. I think honesty is key in anything you're doing. And I, I have no issue sharing anything on my back end. And I do that publicly. I, I'll, we talk about it on our podcast. And this is all information that whether you choose to give it to the brand or the agency or not, they mm-hmm. can find it, right? right? If I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, oh, I, you know, like I can't even give you a reason why I couldn't give you that information. <laughs> right. It's just BS. You know, they're like, okay, cool. I'm just going to waste three minutes of my time now and go on Hype Auditor and look up your name and find everything I was looking for. So thank you for wasting my time. You know, as from the the brand's perspective, mm-hmm. if the influencer or the creator is not willing to show you their back end, I think that they're being dishonest with you. There's something they're trying to hide from you because it's public information. Why would they hide that from you? Mm-hmm. I also think recently I've been seeing a lot of brands and PR agencies saying, hey, can you just show me your impressions from the last 30 days? And I think that's really, really smart mm-hmm. because a lot of influencers are putting together their media kit from their highlight reel. Mm -hmm. You know, the platform has shifted at this time exactly. Last year, I was posting similar photos, similar framing, similar colors, similar everything. Nothing has changed. And last year, I'm getting 20,000 likes on a photo. Mm -hmm. This year, I'm getting three to seven, Mm -hmm. right? So, and literally nothing has changed. I looked at the time spent on the platform. I looked at the engagement. Everything's the same. It's just the platform changing. And Mm -hmm. so, you, you just roll with it. So, I was just in Hawaii for a month. And so, I completely shifted the way that my grid looked and the engagement was lower. So this brand says, hey, we want to do a sponsored post. Can you send me your impressions in the last 30 days? And I sent them, I'm like, ooh, it's a little cringy. But at the end of the day, I can't quote based on my best Mm -hmm. if that's not where I'm at because that's not what they're paying for. They're paying for my current. So I think that's brilliant. Get those impressions 30 days. Yeah. And I think that's important too because it's not just about getting the job. If you get the job based on your highlight reel stats and that's where their expectations are going to be too. And then when the reality of things comes through and it's much lower than that, then they're never going to want to work with you again. Right. Totally. 
I think that goes for brands outside of just influencers as well. Like how you manage expectations or set them ahead of time when you're doing the contract side of things, Mm -hmm. that'll dictate how likely they are to be a return customer too. So I think it should always be 51% in the brand or agency's favor as opposed to the creator or the influencer. Because at the end of the day, they're funding your life to do what it is that you want to do. Mm -hmm. There are literally millions of influencers. So the fact that they somehow stumbled on your page or chose you is a gift. Take it and return the favor and make sure there's an ROI on what you're doing. Because again, like exactly like you said, if it doesn't work out, A, you've soiled your name. Mm-hmm. It's like getting a credit check. Every time you could check your credit, it gets docked. They're like, why do you keep checking your credit? What are you afraid sure. of? Right. You know, like make sure it works because you're just going to piss them off mm-hmm. and they're going to talk to all their friends. Given that it's harder to build engagement and it's getting harder, do you think it's too late for people to become influencers or grow their audience? Or if they're just consistent visually and frequency wise, can they get there still? I think there's still so much opportunity in this industry, but I don't think everyone can and should be a quote unquote influencer or content creator. I think if you are focusing on building your audience and building engagement, and maybe we'll get to this in a second, but diversify platforms. Like you can't rely on Instagram. Instagram is almost impossible to grow at the same levels that it used to be five years ago, even three years ago, two years ago versus other platforms. And I think a lot of people get in the game and are doing everything right. They're creating consistent content. They're creating quote unquote quality content. They have the filters. They do a long caption. They use the hashtags, whatever. And they're not seeing growth. I also think that people need to be more interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it sounds Definitely. bad, but like, <laughs> why, like, what are you providing the world? Like, are mm-hmm. you funny? Are you entertaining? Are you inspirational? Like, what makes you different? It's not enough to just post a cute pose photo of an outfit and say, oh, here's my outfit of the day and then go on with it. Like, a million girls are doing that now. Mm-hmm. What makes you different? And I think if you are creating enough value for people and doing something really interesting, of course, it's still possible to become an influencer. There's so much opportunity in the space. Budgets are only growing. Brands are only putting more money into this industry. But you have to do something to stand out. The same way that you could grow four years ago is not going to work now. I think that it's never too late. The only reason I think that is because nobody at this table, nobody in this province, Nobody likely in this country knows what Instagram is going to do next. Mm -hmm. It's very, very unlikely unless they're coding in the background and we don't know it, right? It can do whatever it wants. And that could be Instagram. It could be TikTok. It could be anything. You look at a platform like Vine that exploded. And then for whatever reason, they're like, eh, we're done. You know, but a a ton of those individuals shifted over to YouTube Mm -hmm. and have shifted from YouTube to television or to Netflix. And so they've built a career off of it because they've gone after it. They've put the work in and done whatever it is that they've done, right? They've found the Midas touch, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so for this platform, I would not discourage anybody from trying to become a quote unquote influencer or whatever. I don't make that your plan A, Mm -hmm. right? I would never bet all of my money on a stock that I couldn't monitor. Right. Mm -hmm. Makes no sense. Totally. Right. It's like you're playing, you know, roulette, Russian roulette. It just, there's no logic behind it. At the same time, you put the work in and you are, you know, you're diligent and it's just like anything, right? You're putting the hours in and, and you're working towards it. Literally tomorrow, 
Instagram could completely shut off. Yeah. yeah. Or at the same time, tomorrow Instagram could go, you know what? We back. What's up? You know, and boom, everything explodes. Because there's lots of different platforms that are coming up left, right, and center. And at the end of the day, I think if you want to be an influencer, I would drop everything that you're doing and I would get on WeChat. There are billions and billions and billions of people. We in North America think that we own the world. We are not <laughs> even a drop in the pond compared to how many people are on WeChat and the engagement that's there. You go to a popular spot here, like Moraine Lake for people that don't know, or Lake Louise, that have thousands of people every day, seven days a week, from midnight to midnight, standing on the side of those landscapes, taking selfies, right? Where are they going? Now, what everyone wonders at, where, where are these images going? You don't see any of them on Instagram. They're all going to WeChat, right? Because that's where they're on vacation from China. They're coming over. And so you want to be an influencer. I would learn whatever language is heavily spoken there and I would get on WeChat. I'm serious. All right. That took a turn, but I'm into <laughs> it. I'm into it. Yeah. yeah. To summarize between the two of you, I think it sounds like trying out different platforms would be good. But beyond that, I think it's a cool message. And that's the message that I think entrepreneurs are talking about, but influencers maybe less so. And that is, think about it more of like, do you actually enjoy doing this? And then also, are you contributing something mm -hmm. rather than like, how can I make money? That's a message that matters outside of this, but specifically for this, because people aren't thinking about it enough. They're just trying to grow their following. Yeah. I've heard in passing or overheard or, or I continuously hear kids saying, I want to be a YouTuber. I want to be a vlogger. Yeah. I want to be an influencer or whatever, whatever that is. I think that the best following with the best engagement and the most return on your efforts is something that's authentic, mm -hmm. right? If it happens organically, awesome, right? And absolutely put the work in. But if you're trying to be something or be somebody, that means you're trying to do something that somebody has already done. And so you're never going to be the pioneer in that. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, the gig's going to run up, right? right. You yeah. will run out of ideas because you're not being you. And mm -hmm. so that's not, you didn't grow your audience based off of you. Mm -hmm. You grew it off of taking those ideas from somebody else. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I want to bring it back to diversifying platforms and talking about additional platforms. So obviously you guys both have other platforms. You have podcasts, you have TikTok. Can you talk to me about why it's important? You know, we talked a little bit about how Instagram could like turn off any day, but what are you learning on other platforms? Does like your influence transfer to platforms? I know Kaylee, you could probably lead the way in terms of conversations around TikTok, which you've I been explaining. Oh my gosh. All I've talked about for the past month has been TikTok and everyone's like, Kaylee, stop talking about it. But I can't. I'm so intrigued and excited. I mean, I think we all can agree that diversifying your platforms is just a smart thing to do. It, you can grow your audience more quickly. You have more stability and security in case one platform changes the algorithm or becomes oversaturated or what have you. I've found, yes, my influence somewhat transfers to different platforms. So I have podcasts, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram. My Instagram audience has definitely transferred into my podcast audience and my YouTube. But when I started TikTok, I was like, Mm, this is for children. So I'm not going to promote the fact that I'm on this app. And I didn't share my username on my Instagram account or like any other channel where I am publicly available. I have a different username on TikTok than I do on any other platform. 
And I just wanted to learn more about the platform because in the past month or so, prior to starting my account, I had seen maybe two or three brands inquiring specifically for TikTok collaborations. And I had never seen that before. It's almost always been Instagram. Instagram is like the main hub. So when I started seeing that, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if more brands are going to move over to that platform. Downloaded it thinking, okay, I'm just going to test it out. I want to see kind of how the platform works, what's trending so that I can advise the influencers that I manage, how to better create content on there, and then also just have my own fun. So I challenged myself to post once a day for 30 days and just better learn the platform and understand what kind of content goes viral there versus Instagram. And what I love about TikTok is that you actually can go viral Mm. versus on other platforms, it's very much a slow and steady grind of like consistent posting, working hard, and you can like grow kind of gradually. On TikTok, it's like you can have a video go viral and have 5,000 followers overnight. I'm now, I think, 28 days in to my 30 days. You're almost there. I have more followers on TikTok than I do on Instagram, which is wild to me because <laughs> not that I've like tried very hard to grow my Instagram following. I'm a big believer that you can have a small following and still be, you know, raking in the money or doing the collaborations that you want to do. You don't need to have a huge following. But it was just wild to me how quickly I could grow my audience on that app because of the algorithm and just... If you have any kind of common sense around content creation, it's especially easy because the majority of people posting on TikTok are literal children who Mm -hmm. don't know what they're doing and they're just like dancing and laughing and having fun. So if you can actually provide value in content, it's like people are drawn to it right away. So I'm really intrigued in TikTok because I think brands are taking more notice that a huge amount of attention is there now. It was more downloaded than Instagram and Facebook in the past two months as an app. So more people are spending time on it. I think a lot of people think that it's just for kids and it's really cringy. And yeah, that's true. It definitely is. But at the same time, those kids grow up to become consumers. A lot of kids, you know, right now, if you get them, they're going to be loyal brand customers and loyal followers up until, you know, who knows. And as Jay mentioned before, Vine, let's say, TikTok crashes and it just disappeared one day, those audiences do transfer to other platforms. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's another benefit of diversifying your platforms is someone finds you through your podcast. Oh, maybe now they become an Instagram follower. If they found you through TikTok, maybe now they're going to subscribe to their YouTube channel. Right. You don't have to be on TikTok. You don't have to be on every platform. I think you need to find what platforms work best for you. If you are a good writer, maybe start a blog. If you love doing video, focus on YouTube. Like, Figure out what channels work best for you. But I do think it is important to have more than just one focus on Instagram. Do you find like what are brands even doing on TikTok? Like I was flying <laughs> around and watching a few TikToks this weekend and I feel like every brand out there on TikTok sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so, that's an opportunity. Well, like, yeah. But I, I wonder if it's still too early for brands to be on TikTok. And I feel like you can kind of speak to that. And like how can a brand get sponsored content? Like what's the best way to work with influencers on TikTok? So yeah, I agree with you. I would say 99% of the brand content on TikTok is really bad. And huge brands that have millions of followers on Instagram might have 5,000 followers on TikTok Mm -hmm. because the nature of the platform is to follow really entertaining content, a lot of like personal funny content 
and brands that are trying to repurpose their super aesthetic content from Instagram onto TikTok, it just doesn't translate. It's a completely different audience, a completely different platform. What works on Instagram and YouTube doesn't work on TikTok. So the mistake I see a lot of brands making is they take their extra video footage, they take their Instagram stories that they've already posted, and then they try to repost it on TikTok just to have a presence there, but it doesn't blow up because it's not created for the app. So my advice to brands is don't try to waste your time creating content on TikTok unless you like have an 18 year old on your team that mm-hmm. understands <laughs> how the app works and how like to create <laughs> viral content. Don't waste your time creating content. Just secure your brand handle because I've seen a lot of kids have already taken celebrity handles and like big brand handles, you know, Tom Hanks. That. Tom that Hanks followed me the That's other so day funny. and I'm like, oh, damn, Tom Hanks. Okay, hi, you're a child. Make sure you secure your handle at least. You don't need to post anything. But then I would encourage brands to partner with young creators that understand the app, that already have a following, that know how to make content that is going to go viral and that's resonating with the audience there. And just pay them to do it for you, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, good call. I think TikTok's an interesting platform. <laughs> Jay, I feel like you'd be it's, really good at TikTok. Are you going to get in there or what? It, it is such and it is – I can't even put my finger on it. It's so – it's fascinating to me. It is. It, TikTok is like your best friend's cute little sister, you know? It's like, should I go there? Maybe, but probably not. Oh, you know, like, like you kind of flirt with the idea. Oh my God. You know, is is your friend going to be okay with it? What's happening here? What I don't understand about TikTok, the the two biggest things are one, people are putting massive effort into a fifteen second video or thirty second video. They've had the opportunity to do that for the last X amount of years on other platforms. So somehow. They've said, you get 15 seconds, go. And then people are putting literal full storylines if someone's doing comedy or fashion or whatever, and they're putting this massive effort into it. You could do that with iMovie on your phone and your stories for the last however long, but for whatever reason, they're choosing to put well, that I'll effort on TikTok. Well, tell you the reason. The reason is you can have zero followers on TikTok, put up a 15-second video, your first video and get a million views. You don't need any followers. The algorithm on TikTok is like opposite of Instagram. Instagram, you have to build your following and then only your followers see your content unless you get really big and you're featured on Explore page. TikTok, it shows everybody's content on the For You page. So if you create something great, you can have zero followers, have a video that blows up to a million, and then overnight you have, let's say, 10,000 followers. That's why people put effort and they can still go viral. I'm on my way. You're going to hate me. You're going to hate me because the second point I was going to make is that I don't think that TikTok's engagement is real. And the reason I say that, and I'm, I have zero data to support this whatsoever in any way, shape, or form. You're just all about the hot takes today. All I'm saying is that I did exactly what you're talking about. I posted one video on there. I signed up, used my name. What is going on on this platform? There's a bunch of 10-year-olds dancing inappropriately. I need, this is not good. Then I post a video on it. And it gets 600,000 views in like 24 hours. And I get like thousands of followers. I don't understand how every single video that you're putting on that platform is getting tens of millions of views over and over and over and over. I don't think there's even enough users for that to happen yet. So again, this is fully, it's like- <laughs> Hit him, Kaylin. Yeah, get me. There's zero information to support that, whatever. I've never even looked on the website to say what's happening here. But I just can't fathom in my mind or understand how every single post is getting hundreds of thousands and millions and millions 
of views. It just doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense. If you're spending three hours on TikTok at night before bed, which a lot of kids do, <laughs> I will sit down on TikTok, watch an hour of TikToks. If every TikTok is 15 seconds, you know, you're watching hundreds of yeah, TikToks in yeah. one sitting. So it's not unreasonable. 500 million, what is that? Users? 500 million users. Okay. Active. Yeah. So if there's Active. 500 okay. million users and it feels like every third user is getting a million views to but 5 million views in their first million. Million. No, no, no. no, no, no. The like, people you know are content creators and influencers, the people mm -hmm. you're talking to. Absolutely. So if they're all blowing up, it's because they're content creators that know how to create content. If you look at 95% of users on TikTok, they haven't posted a video. They just scroll and watch funny things and they don't even tell their friends their account name because mm -hmm. they don't want people to know who they are on TikTok, right? <laughs> so when you think of like the <laughs> ratio of people creating content on the app versus people consuming content, there's fewer people creating content on TikTok right now than there is on, I would say like Instagram probably. Mm -hmm. And so it's still undersaturated enough that it's easy to go viral. It's like in the first like year or two of Instagram, if you were a really great photographer, Mm -hmm. easily you can blow up on the explore page if you're being suggested to new users you can have 500,000 followers which is now you don't have that same opportunity so tiktok now is where instagram was like five years ago right and like i say that was a stubborn uneducated statement and it was just an opinion <laughs> maybe it's true so, it could be I, a controversy I mean, the other thing with TikTok that's interesting to me is that I can't see any of the, the analytics. Like I can't see what the age range or demographic or anything that's actually engaging on my post. So like, yeah, it's cool. You post a cell phone video, it gets 600,000 views. How do I know that it's not, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. What do you think like, is what brands want to know? You right. know, like if there they're going to- There is a pro account. There like is. you can create a pro TikTok account, which gives you insights. Okay. See, yeah. I'm still very, very uneducated. Yeah. We're all right there with you, man. We're all learning. <laughs> but I don't know if they've changed it, but the last time I went on there is a couple weeks ago. And when I was trying to respond to the comments, there's no thread. Oh, yeah. It's just yeah. reply after reply after reply. So- all the comments were like, this is fake. This is fake. This can't be real. And I was just like, I was trying to like get in fights with 10 year olds. Yeah. That's all I wanted to do is I promise it's fight real. all of them. This is a cell phone video. Okay. Yeah. This isn't even the iPhone 11 Max. This is iPhone potato. Like this is- I need is, to know what this video is. It's literally just my friend and I paddling at Lake Louise. That's it. And they're like, dude, it's fake. The water's fake. Like, do you really think I put that much effort into this? Amazing. Yeah. No. So that again, is I agree with you. That's a frustration on the app yeah, as well. How do you drive the, or create that relationship? They don't thread. And that's very annoying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, because it's brand new. Well, it's not brand new, but it's new. It's probably because they know it's 10 year olds. And they're like, we should not be encouraging this kind of conversation. <laughs> right. These kids don't Make know it what's hard. going yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I will say there is a lot of controversy around TikTok and obviously the ownership and that it's a Chinese company and privacy issues and it's literally children on the app and all of these things. But I do think the sentiment stands of if you can build a following there, maybe TikTok's not your end goal. I don't want to be a famous TikToker, but that audience will translate into more YouTube subscribers. I've probably gotten... 800 followers on my Instagram account in the past month directly from TikTok. Wow. So I think there's still value there. But like I said at the beginning, not everybody needs to be on every platform. Find what platforms work for you. And as long as you're diversifying off of one thing, I think it's a safer bet. If I was a brand, I'd be choosing YouTube over anything. Talk 100%. to us about YouTube. I'm not prolific on YouTube whatsoever. I've been in a number of videos with people who have large followings just somehow based on 
photography, I guess. I don't put the effort into it and I'm like literally slapping myself on the wrist every single day for not making that my number one priority. But I'm still trying to keep up the actual commercial work that we're doing Mm -hmm. and then Instagram and at the time I have just not, I feel like I'm talking to like my girlfriend. She's like, you're just not prioritizing me. <laughs> like, I don't have time. Like, you know, you're not making me a priority is yeah. what's happening. And that's, you're that's not what's happening with time, YouTube. Jay. But YouTube's interesting because it's the only platform I know of where I'm giving myself fully to you for at least three minutes, right? Mm-hmm. So if somebody's following or subscribed to or watching these YouTube videos, they are literally watching for three to probably most, I think, vlogs around like 10 to 15 minutes. That is a massive chunk of time. That's like how long a TV show was in between commercials, Mm -hmm. right? So they're giving you that. They're committing it to you. They also feel like they're your friend because they're hanging out with you all the time, right? So it's different when you see Instagram, people are on a pedestal. You're going to see the back of my head 90% of the time, right? But on YouTube, you're going to see my face. You're going to see my actual personality. You're going to see what I actually look like. You're going to see how I actually interact with people based on what I've edited and chosen to share with you but you can't hide all of that so they've become this friend and then for them to get anywhere from there like the affiliate links on youtube are insane i have friends that make ludicrous amounts of money based on their youtube because on instagram if i say hey this is cool you should swipe up and check out my amazon affiliate link you know this is the gear that i use people are like i don't care right but on youtube they watched me use that gear yeah and they want to be me or that person they're going to go by that year mm-hmm. and because they love you and they feel like they're your friend, they're going to click through and they're going to use your link. Yeah. And that I, link is there forever, yeah. right? Yeah. Like for as long as that video is up, it could be years that you're making money every single day from that link versus Instagram, you know, swipe up is 24 hours. Any other yeah. platform, it's much more uh, short term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's so much utility with YouTube, like especially in I think your niche with like as a content creator and photographer, like people are using YouTube as a search engine to like mm-hmm. find answers to their questions. And so if you come up and they see, you know, like the way you presented it and you've captured them for a full 10 minutes, which is like an eternity with social media, so much of a warmer lead for a brand. So I, yeah, I agree. It's a, it's like such a great space, not for every single niche out there, but especially like in technology, oh, I think yeah. it's a great space for brands to be investing in. Totally. I'm just scared of it because it takes so much work. It's a lot of work. I'm yeah. more likely oh to try goodness. TikTok than YouTube personally. It's coming from a commercial photographer perspective, shifting to YouTube, I've literally put one video up. I've been shooting a ton of video and editing a ton of video. I just haven't taken the time on the platform. But the learning curve of YouTube is vastly different than mm-hmm. any of the other platforms, right? Other platform, download, do something stupid, post, yeah, you know, go for dopamine. Mm-hmm. Right. YouTube, there's a process here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's what gets a lot of people to just fall off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. One question we like to ask everybody when they're on the show is what brands or for you guys specifically, other influencers are making waves online right now? And why do you feel that way? I think the biggest one that comes to mind is Hermana Agency. That's a big one. Nice. (laughs) Did I say that right? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, you said it like a white person your way. Okay, that's okay. I'll embrace (laughs) you later. I've really enjoyed watching Sony Alpha. Again, I'm speaking to the content creator realm, photo, video, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I think Sony Alpha did an incredible job. They had a fantastic product and they knew that, but they went to the market and said, hey, there's no community here. There's no cool guy, cool girl club. So we're going to create it. Every person who shoots with a Sony camera puts Sony Alpha in their bio of whatever, and they're not on the Sony Alpha team. There's a select, you know, couple hundred that are. 
And I'm friends with a handful of them. And the crazy thing is they just get a 20% discount just like you do, right? Now, Sony's taking them on incredible trips where they can get this content for Sony or for themselves. So I think they've done an amazing job of being the front runner of coming like a bat out of hell out of nowhere and being the brand, the guys, the team, the crew that everyone wants to be a part of that people are are faking it all day long. I have Sony Alpha in my bio. I'm not part of the Sony Alpha team. Mm-hmm. I'd love to be, but they're not even giving the product to the users, right? So if you're on the Sony Alpha team, they will lend you a lens. They don't give you the lens. It's that elite that they've created, but also that inviting. I think they've done an incredible job. Anyone else? Arcade. <laughs> we weren't fishing for no. that. <laughs> no. it's all like good. Arcade. I think Eddie Bauer did a really good job. Wow. I think really yeah yeah it used to be daddy bauer now it's like young yeah attractive adventurer bauer hot dudes on instagram that's not what's in my explore feed but i could see (laughs) what my eddie bauer did a a really really great job i think of being the dad brand right Mm -hmm. they were like you know it was middle-aged dads that were Mm -hmm. going on 40 minute hikes that were wearing this stuff i think or from that's how it appeared to now they went after influencers they grabbed a select few of them and they absolutely railed their feeds with post 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 but the people they chose is exactly like you said earlier kaylee like abercrombie was already so on brand Mm. that whether they were wearing abercrombie or patagonia or whatever it just worked it was seamless so they chose adventurers who actually adventure and they put them in the products and they made them post repetitively and it just didn't become an issue because the post looked the exact same the writing looked the exact same and so i've seen a massive wave of buyers i think for eddie bauer and i i think they lowered their price point too every time you walk past the store there's like a 50 percent off sale somewhere in the store you know we're a bunch of jaded millennials we don't want to buy things that aren't on sale so True. i think they did a really really great job there gonna do some more research on them i that they are not on my radar at all but yeah they'll be in the show notes out. though yeah there you go. <laughs> What about you, Kaylee? So in terms of brands that I think are doing a really good job, Majuri is one that comes to mind, a Canadian jewelry brand that is fairly new. I think they're only like two years old maybe, Mm -hmm. but in the past two years, they've really gone on a huge micro-influencer push. They have like hundreds of micro-influencers in their program that they're gifting to every month or for specific campaigns. They also have like a second tier, which is the fine crew, which I'm a part of. Mm. And I think they've kind of become the Daniel Wellington of jewelry, where now for a lot of female content creators, it is like a badge of honor to work with Majuri. Like if you're, especially as a micro-influencer, because they work with a lot of people that have 1,000, 3,000, 5,000 followers. If you get gifted Majuri, it's like a big deal now. Mm -hmm. So I think they've done a really good job of coming out of nowhere and establishing that cult following, especially like as a Canadian brand. Like I love sporting local. And then in terms of influencers that i'm loving this is kind of offside but i'm loving cody co right now he's from calgary actually i don't know if you guys know him he's a youtuber he just does like funny videos just he has a personality he does these videos called that's cringe he makes fun of like tiktokers and you know (laughs) it's just like a, a narrative personality he's really funny and he has done a really good job of diversifying he has a podcast also he does like touring shows where he does these live shows comedic shows and 
just makes his sponsored posts really funny and part of his personality. So I think influencers like that, that can kind of bring their audience along a journey and are doing, you know, he has merch now, like kind of creating their own brand versus relying on brand partnerships, Mm. I think are really cool. Just speaking to humor with Cody Co. We've had a few clients that have been hesitant to share humorous content on their brands. I think because they feel that maybe it's more like cheap engagement or like less relevant because people are... Yeah, shallow. That's a better word for it. And uh, we obviously have our own opinions on that. But I'd love to hear from you guys. Do you think engagement from humor on the part of brands is shallow or is it still valuable to the brand overall? I want to know why they think it's shallow. Yeah, I love that. Because when you say that, maybe this is the wrong perception of what you're thinking versus what I'm thinking. But the first thing that comes to mind in my head is places like Chipotle that Mm -hmm. respond with really funny, like on-point tweets to customers that are complaining about stuff, which is a tricky area to be in. You know, you Mm -hmm. don't want to offend your customers. You don't want to do anything that's so politically incorrect. But at the same time, they stand out to me like it was the first brand that came to my mind when you said that because they do a lot of humorous stuff. So I think that there's a place for it Mm -hmm. depending on what the brand is and who their audience is, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think they also feel like, for example, like meme accounts, like there's lots of likes, there's lots of shares, but is that actually going to drive the needle for the brand in terms of Mm. like sales? Probably not. There's still value in engagement and awareness but it's probably not going to drive sales. It's how you use that humor. Mm-hmm. You can have a chiropractor that saves your life or you can have one that breaks your neck in half. Right. right? So, and humor is like a very touchy realm. Mm-hmm. You know, your audience is so hyper offended and triggered already. They're waiting for you to give them an opportunity, especially as consumers, we feel entitled that we own the brand. The brand owes us mm-hmm. everything. Think about like an airline. We've done a, a number <laughs> of partnerships with airlines and the comments are savage Mm. if an airline tried to do something humorous that wasn't like you know jingle bally and happy and and sincere and oh this is family fun right but if they tried to use the other any other realm of humor they would get destroyed so i think it's how do you use that humor i don't think they should stray away from it i just think you have to be a little bit more creative and maybe test that humor on a micro audience before you send it out to the world right right yeah yeah and i think like what you're saying with those meme accounts, like number of followers and engagement needs to be niche relative. So, you know, if you are a clothing brand that sends Insta single, if you like send Insta single clothing and pay them a thousand dollars to make a post and they just take a photo of the clothing and they post it, it's completely off brand of what they usually post. But if you're Cards Against Humanity mm-hmm. and you are partnering with Insta single to create a meme humorous sponsored posts and paying them a thousand dollars i bet the return would be much much higher Mm -hmm. so i think it's all about like finding those brand relevant audiences and making sure that you're like staying within your niche but like being smart about how you totally yeah that's a good point like i even think of hinge who partnered with like a bunch of influencers who are like really really funny not your average fashion blogger and she did like a sponsored post i love her i love her i'm absolutely obsessed with her same girl if you're listening I know. Oh my Thank gosh, you. I would wow. die if she listened to this. She did a sponsored post of her getting ready for a date. And 
<laughs> she did like the slicked back, like wet look for her oh. hair, but she used like Palmer's glue. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and like that was so perfect for her brand, but yeah. also perfect for Hinge. Like that they'd even like pay her to do that. Like yeah. that I felt like was so great. Like brand alignment there. I mean, did it move the needle and actually get more people to download Hinge? Like maybe not, but maybe that's not Hinge's goal with like. That mm-hmm. kind of partnership, you know, right. the awareness, awareness. there too. Yeah, totally. I don't know if you follow Lewis Capaldi. He is absolutely. Oh, I'm about to rock your world. Your, your <laughs> Spotify is about to upgrade. So, short backstory behind Lewis Capaldi. I heard this song. My friend sent me a playlist. She makes these awesome playlists. She sent it to me. I didn't know who this person was. I was just like, this individual has the best voice I've ever heard in my entire life. And I used to tour full time and play music. I've heard a lot of voices. This guy is absolutely astounding. I sent him to my brother and sister. I said, you need to listen to this voice. It's incredible. My brother responded, said, this guy's going to be the biggest star on the planet. You watch it happen. And literally within the span of like six months, he went from, he had like a, I don't know, maybe 60,000 followers or something like that. When I first went to his Instagram, he's got millions now. And he's the funniest dude because he's just himself. He's unfiltered. And when you see him, after you've listened to him for like two weeks and you're just obsessed with this voice and you've created this vision in your mind as to what you think he's going to look like and then you see him and look i can't i can't even say words that are appropriate on this <laughs> podcast without slandering him the way he looks you'll see i'll just let you do your homework he does not match his voice and he knows it and he plays off of that and he does an incredible job of being on tiktok and instagram and youtube and everything all of his interviews but he does again sponsored ads with like some food brands he does sponsored mm. ads with tinder he does stuff like that and he does an amazing job. Nice. Cool. Awesome. Well, we'll look him up and put him in the show notes as well. I think his handle's Lewis Calamari, actually. Calamari. That's funny. <laughs> change it. I like it already. It's Lewis Capaldi's his actual handle, but his name is Lewis Calamari. That's awesome. That was some good combo. Yeah. Jay, what are you up to right now that you're excited about and where can listeners connect with you? I'm working on a lot that I'm really excited about. I am co-founder of a commercial creative agency called Rome Creative. So romecreative.ca, you can check us out on there. We're really, really pushing towards the commercial side of things. So photo, video, design, and we've been really, really blessed in that realm. And so over the next six months, we've got trips planned consecutively. We've got a few different partnerships with airlines and and destinations that I'm really excited about. On a personal level, I'm really, really pushing to get over to Europe this year and have it funded as part of a project or anything in that realm. Europe's like number one on the list. Like a specific spot in Europe or just Slovenia? Slovenia? Right. I know. What? <laughs> Why? It's, look at it. It's All right. gorgeous. Once you, yeah, Slovenia is like this unheard of fairy tale land. I love the whimsical kind of imagery and Slovenia literally does not even look real. It's got four seasons that are vastly different. It's There's castles everywhere in the middles of, of lakes and, and waterfalls and it's like, why is this place not the most popular place on the planet? It looks absolutely wild and it's this teeny tiny little country in Europe. So that's number one on the list. And then if anyone wants to connect with me, I'd love to hear from you. My personal Instagram handle is at J-A-Y, the letter R, McDonald, M-C-D-O-N-A-L-D. And if you want to check out some of the commercial work, it's again, Rome, R-O-A-M, creative.ca. 
Kaylee, what are you up to right now and where can people find you? Uh, well, in September, October, sometime earlier this year, this year has gone by so fast. Oh my goodness. Seriously. I launched an agency, an influencer agency, which kind of happened organically after I was featured in Huffington Post talking about influencer marketing and pricing strategy. And I just had a ton of influencers reach out to me basically saying, how can I work with you? And before this, I was kind of informally managing a network of about 400 micro influencers and just providing different opportunities from brand clients that I had come to me. And so now we're kind of formalized. I have a roster of larger influencers and also kind of work with micro influencers still, but that's been really fun. And right now we're organizing a trip for New York Fashion Week with 11 of our influencers. So that's kind of my big thing right now that I'm excited for in February 2020. And heading to LA tomorrow. So What's just like a workation, recording some podcast episodes, being in the sun, getting inspired again. I feel like being in Calgary, the snow, it's just, it's not, <laughs> it's not conducive to my creativity. So I booked a trip. But yeah, if anybody wants to connect, it's at K-A-Y-L-E-Y dot E dot R on Instagram. My podcast is Self Care Sunday and I'm... Not going to share my TikTok handle, but maybe you can find me. <laughs> nice. All right. Great. Well, guys, thanks so much this for being awesome. with us. Yeah. yeah. Thank, Thank you for you having so us. Much. This is great. We love you guys. And I love your podcast. <laughs> thanks, dude. Just listen some more when I get out of here. I appreciate nice. that. Thanks for yeah. saying that. Well, this is a strong wrap up to season one mm-hmm. and we'll be back soon for season two. But love your guys' time and the insight you brought and the hot takes, Jay. <laughs> Spiced it up quite a bit. Uh-huh. I'm nicer than I sound, I promise. <laughs> no, you sound nice. Tr- trust me. Yeah, thanks for being here, guys. This episode of Wave Social Podcast is powered by Arcade Studios. Show notes for this episode and other episodes can be found at wavesocialpodcast.com. You can also subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you've got questions, comments, or suggestions for future shows, hit us up at wavesocial on Instagram. Thanks for joining us.